Now, what I'm about to share with you is a procedure for prayer. It has a, uh, a biblical basis. I'm not going to really deal with the theological implications of it tonight. All I want to do is give you a model for praying. This is the model that I've happened on to. And it's what we basically train our people in. Now, keep in mind, I've never handed a piece of, piece of paper like this out to my church. Okay? Because I don't want them to get focused on methodology. Got it? I'll say that again. I don't want to get them focused on methodology. But if I'm uh, walking through our prayer room and I'm watching somebody trying to help someone and I can see that they really don't have a track to run on, they don't know how to start, I'll say, well, why don't you just ask them where it hurts first? Find out where it hurts before you start praying. It'll help. It'll sort of focus in your prayers. And if they're, if they're fairly good at finding out where it hurts, I, I say, well, you know, why don't you do a little bit more thinking about how to pray? Because I think you're praying too generally, and you won't get a very good effect generally if you pray generally. You need to pray specifically if you want to get real effective in your prayers. And so we'll just sort of say that gently, and often I'll wait until after they've prayed and then do it. Or on occasions I've gone up and interrupted what they were doing and began praying myself. And then afterwards took them aside and I said, the reason I did that was for this purpose. Oh, that's what I'm supposed to do? Yeah, that's what you do in that situation. Let's look at it. Five steps in the healing procedure. Step one is what I call the interview. It answers the basic question, where does it hurt? I see it as conducted, this interview is conducted on two planes. The first plane is the natural or the empirical. As such, I'm, I'm sorting out what they're saying according to present and past experiences. I'm checking the person out, I'm looking at them. Keep in mind that someone's once said sometimes it's more important to know what kind of person has a bug than what kind of bug has a person. By that I mean people that, are, uh, that have various conditions have uh, personalities that, that will treat and respond to those conditions in differing ways. And so I'm making some just general assessments when I'm looking at the person. I'm thinking about who this person is. Some people are very, you know, sort of introverted and, and tight, and, uh, and uh, they've got one kind of a set of responses, and other people are real, you know, kind of loose and, and uh, responsive and outgoing and, and uh, uh, overt in all their uh, emotions, and, and they, all, they have a different kind of a set. And it's sort of predictable what the kind of problems this one personality will have as over against this other. Now, I don't mean that I'm making any kind of a medical diagnosis. I mean I'm just making some general readings of who it is I'm about to try to minister to. I also, uh, I'm sorting on the basis of the things that I see and the things that I think I know and the things I think I've learned because uh, I've, got, I've got some commonality experience now. I don't know the exact number of individuals I've prayed for now, but I'm sure it's up in the four or five or six thousand bracket somewhere. And so after, after a few thousand people, uh, you begin sort of getting some general patterns. This is the way some people act, and, and this is the way some situations are. And you can kind of draw these assessments. Every now and then I, I get somebody that's listened to some of my tapes or been to one of the conferences or even just dipped in for a half hour sometime, and they'll write me or call me and say, well, I went home and prayed for somebody that didn't work. And the implication is like, well, you told me wrong. And I always laugh and write them back a letter or, or tell them on the phone, why don't you pray for a thousand somebodies and then let's talk. 
You see, you haven't, you haven't done enough for us to even have any real dialogue yet. You haven't experienced enough. And my encouragement to you when you leave here is commit yourself to several years of exploration. Before you get it all honed down and, and build a big monument of theology and practice and, and you know, make it Presbyterian or Methodist or Baptist or, or Vineyard or whatever, before you come to a point where you, where you just really won't, you, this is in the Bible and this isn't, you know how we do that. Uh, before you do that, why don't you just commit yourself to a few years, maybe 40, 50, <laughs> of exploration. Where you're still accessible and, a, and able to receive new information on the subject. And so, as the interview operates, we operate first in the natural realm. As that's going on, I'm also operating in the supernatural or the cosmic uh, through spiritual gifts. I'm sorting according to the gifts of the Spirit. The Spirit of God may be giving me impressions. He may be speaking to me. He may be telling me what to do or what to say. The Spirit of God can lead us through the whole procedure from time to time. I just heard a story recently about a, a young uh, pastor's wife in one of our churches that was praying for somebody that that had some uh, severe emotional social problems and as they prayed uh, the uh, Spirit of God gave her a word of wisdom and she realized, or knowledge, excuse me, and she realized that uh, that the gal she was ministering to had uh, had an abortion a few years before. And uh, she spoke that out and the gal said yes, and yes there is some problems and some pain over that and, and she said, well have you ever sought forgiveness, you know? And uh, she said, no, and uh, well, yes, you know, I have in a general sense. I mean, I have prayed about it. I've asked God to forgive me. And she said, well, let's just, let's just work our way through that. And so, so again, she, she rehearsed the thing, and she asked God to forgive, and she forgave herself. And then the Spirit of God gave her one of those moments of genius, and she says, now, ask the baby to forgive you. And when she said that, all of the impact of the horror of what she had done hit her. And she knew genuine forgiveness for the first time as she asked that little baby to forgive her for what she had done. Now, that's not a method, people. Don't write that down. Now, that's the way we handle abortion cases. That's the unction and the anointing of the Spirit of God leading somebody as they minister to another human being. Get it? The issue is dependence on the Spirit. If there's any pattern, it's simply this. Depend on Him. Depend on Him. Depend on Him. Keep checking back with Him. Don't jump to conclusions. Don't try to recapitulate yesterday's experience. One of the tragic things in healing is you'll have a good experience. You know, you'll have a Spirit-led experience. God will give you leading and you'll do something and it'll come off great. Man, you walk away thinking, ha, 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 I got it. <laughs> and then the next day or the week later or two months later, you have another opportunity to pray for somebody and what do you do? You try to take them through that other experience. Now where's your dependence? On the old experience. You see, but your dependence has to be on Him. It's fresh every day, people. Every day. He wants to do creative things through you. And so you're sorting on two levels, the natural level and on the supernatural level. You're operating in the empirical world and in the cosmic world at the same time. There's interaction. And you're praying that, you know, prayer, help, again and again. God, help me. God, give me help for this person. Bless me. Now, 
keep in mind, this is not a medical interview. Unless you're a physician, and even if you are a physician, I would advise you to uh, practice your medicine on one level and practice this on another level. It's difficult to incorporate them both. But we're not physicians, and this is not a medical model of interviewing. All we're trying to do is not, see the medical history won't help you. All we're trying to do is find out where it hurts. Tell me where the pain is. Now, in the process of telling you where the pain is, they, they may tip off how they got the pain. There may be something that will be said that will stir you on a natural plane. At the same time, it may be that on a spirit plane, the Holy Spirit will tell you how and why. Because ultimately, in the interview, what you're looking for is the ultimate cause. Why did this happen to this person? Why does this person feel this way? Why does this condition exist? That's what you're looking for. And either by natural or supernatural means, you, the hope of the interview is that you'll come to that focal point by the end of it. The interview is complete when you have ascertained cause of condition. It could be natural, supernatural, social, emotional. It could be sin. It could be any number of categories. The same condition could be caused by in, in any number of those categories. And so it's not a simple process. It's rather complex. But God is willing and able to take you through that process and help you with it in such a way as you can understand what you're doing. Another aspect of the end of the interview is when God's told you what to do. Sometimes when the interview is starting, the Spirit of God speaks to you, and as He speaks to you, you can stop the interview. You, you don't have to fool with it. It's not necessary. On numerous occasions when Blaine is praying for people, I've seen him, well, the person will start to tell him, and Blaine says, never mind, and, and he'll say something, and the power of God will hit him, and they'll be healed before they even know what happened to him. I, I have seen people on two or three occasions healed, and still trying to get through the interview. <laughs> still trying to tell us what's wrong with him. And we're saying, honey, you don't have to do it. You're well. You know, it's not necessary to tell us. Oh, you know, they didn't get it. So the interview is over either when you've ascertained or when God's told you. Now, I want you to know there is another option. And that's where you don't, you don't have a clue. God didn't speak. And nothing they've said has helped you. Okay? That happens. Often. <laughs> Where you just don't know. You don't know. And when you don't know, you don't know. And don't pretend like you know, okay? Will you promise me that? Don't pretend like you know. Just tell them, hey, I don't get it. I don't know what's wrong with you. I don't know. I understand what's wrong with you, but I don't know what's wrong with you. I don't know why you've got this condition. But I'll pray for you anyway. Let's see if God can fix it without me understanding it. Got it? Don't put on airs. Don't be mystical. Don't try to put on spiritual mannerisms. Be genuine. Be honest. Okay? Then you can maintain some integrity. Because I want to tell you something. Once you start cheating the system and trying to act spiritual, you've ended all hope for you ever becoming effective. Because the person you're cheating ultimately the most is yourself. You see, you will know what you did. And the enemy has you 
and has ended your career right there. So maintain your integrity. Be honest. Be honest to God. Be honest to the people. So, boy, I don't have a clue what's wrong with you, lady or mister. But I, 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 you know, I know that God does, so let's pray and let's ask God to help us. Step two, what I call the diagnostic decision. It answers the basic question, why does this person have this condition? Now, I'm operating first in the natural realm, as we said. It could be a contracted disease. It could, they could have hurt themselves. There could be any number of natural causations. It could have no uh, ulterior or malevolent spirit or anything outside of the context of it just happened. They just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. They got this condition. They, they're in this, this place. This is their problem. It has nothing to do with anything in their history or their background or, or sin in their life. I mean, they may have sinned and they may have plenty of things in their history, but this particular condition doesn't have any, it isn't tied to anything. All right? So you've got to recognize that sometimes people are just sick. Got it? Go like that. That's a good class. All right. But on other occasions, it could be that sin has brought this about. For instance, a, a social disease such as vaginal herpes is contracted one way. And, uh, you know, since we've been here this week, I think we've prayed for seven or eight people that have been healed of that condition. Now, when a person's healed of that condition, there's other kinds of ministry that has to go with the praying for the physical problem. Keep in mind that quite often people uh, that are, uh, you know, for one reason or another, that have uh, gotten into immorality or something, and as a result contracted a disease like this or a condition like this, uh, they may have rather sophisticated sets of problems. I remember years ago when we were first started praying for the sick, we had a young lady in a church. I didn't know her very well, but I would see her around. And uh, I, I knew from, from just things she had said to me and, and uh, things in my own spirit that, uh, that she was sleeping around. And, and she was a, a confessing Christian. And, uh, on two occasions I confronted her about her lifestyle and she was always very you know passive and, and seemingly repentive at least superficially repentive when we would talk and and the uh, exchanges didn't go real well and I, didn't, I didn't get the kind of response from her I was hoping to get when I took the time to confront her about what was happening well I mean that's not so unusual you have people in, in you know if you're going to be a shepherd you got to take care of sheep and sheep sometimes are not all that healthy Emotionally, socially, spiritually, physically. And uh, so you've got to take care of people. So I didn't, I didn't not like her because she wasn't uh, operating the way I thought, and I thought the Bible thought she should. But I, she had one habit that really bugged me. She would come to church sick all the time. Often she was sick because of the promiscuous life she was leading. And she would come forward when we would pray for the sick, and you guessed it, she got healed every time. Now in those days, that really bugged me. First of all, we didn't have a lot of healing to go around in those days. <laughs> and it bothered me that she'd get healed over and over and again when other righteous people weren't. You know what I'm talking about? People, we were agonizing to get well, and she'd push through and, you know, and, and, re, and get healed and be gone, you know. Boy, that irritated me. 
got to the point where after a while, every time I'd see her come out, I'd, I'd think, I don't know how to pray for her. <laughs> One time she was walking up to be prayed for, and I said something like that, and the Lord said, who do you think you are? Where were you? You know the text. I said, oh, Lord, what? You know, I, I didn't even realize. I, I said, you know, I started to defend myself, like, well, I'm, I'm supposed to judge sin, aren't I? And, and uh... I couldn't, I couldn't even get that thought all the way formed, you know. Because <laughs> I knew I was in big trouble if I started going that direction. And the Spirit of the Lord just busted me. Now remember, this was after that vision of God's mercy, okay? But I still didn't get it. I didn't get it. I didn't realize how much healing there was for everyone. I didn't realize how God was so merciful. I, I just I just couldn't tune in properly, fully. And so I was caught in this awful position, you know, of, of well, being, uh, I judged her. I was sinning. And, you know, I, I, I didn't like what I, how I felt, and I didn't like what I was doing, and so I asked God to forgive me, but it was one of those kind of superficial exercises where I didn't get any real relief or release from anything. And I found myself over the next few weeks and months uh, occasionally praying for her and, and praying about her and praying about myself, but I didn't have any real satisfaction in it. It was just an awkward thing. You ever gotten into one of those impasses where it just isn't getting cleaned up? It isn't, it isn't what you thought it ought to be, and you know, you know it shouldn't be that way, but it is that way. Well, that's the kind of thing I was in. And then one day, somebody came up to me and said, you know such and such? And I said, yeah. He said, well, she went to a such and such a uh, person, and they prayed for her and, and took her through healing of memories, and she went through a whole thing about a molestation situation when she was a child, and she is a brand new person. And I said, really? Well, you know, that little gal is really walking with the Lord now, free of all the habits and the lifestyle that she'd had before. You see, I, had, I didn't realize that there could be things that hold you and control you and influence you at that level. I didn't realize that, that a person could be sinning and not want to. I thought we could all, it all operated in the will, because that's what I was taught. Well, that's a whole other subject, but I want you to know that things are not always what they appear to be. So I think it's operationally a good idea just to start out with mercy and end with mercy, all right? When you're working with people. And so sometimes sin will be controlling people. Keep in mind, it can be sin you've committed. But it can also be sin committed against you. Certainly in the case of this young gal, it was sin committed against her. She was still in the grips of the sin that had been sinned against her as a six-year-old girl. Buried in her past, buried, it wasn't even in her foreconscious mind, I'm sure. She, she had gotten to a place where she no longer was conscious of even having had this experience, but it was controlling her. This sin against her had scarred her and scarred her so severely that it was controlling much of her actions and much of her life. And so we must be prepared to understand that, that when we pray for someone, 
that in the, the increment or the incident of your prayer, you may only be praying for that that you can cognitively grasp, that the Spirit of God can give you, the Spirit of God can give them. You may be praying partially. It may take 20 or 30 or 40 prayer encounters over a number of years to get people really cleaned up. But thank God we now have the resources through the Word of God and that that He's teaching us these days that we hope that we have the hope now that people can be cleaned up and they can walk free of the things that contaminate and pollute and control. And so my encouragement to you is persevere with people. Keep on keeping on with them. Don't give up on people. Continue to love them even when they're unlovely. Continue to bless them and continue to minister to them as long as they'll allow you. Now, if they won't deal with their sin, then you can't make them deal with their sin and you just have to wait and let the enemy deal with them until such a time as they get tired of being dealt with by the enemy and decide they'd rather be dealt with by God. Sometimes it's the emotional area. Keep in mind that psychosomatic illnesses are estimated by some physicians are up to 80% of all illnesses psychosomatic. Now that doesn't mean fictitious or unreal. You can die of psychosomatic illnesses as easily as you can real illnesses. The bottom line is that many people are affected by conditions other than the one that uh, can be easily diagnosed. It can be an emotional, social base. It can be spiritual. It can be uh, demonic. It can be sin that's controlling them, but it might be manifesting in a stomach problem, in high blood pressure, in gastric difficulties. It could be something wrong with the heart. It can be a functional disorder, but it can be brought about by something that's obtuse and seemingly not related. And if we're operating in the natural, humanistic, materialistic, empirical, Western, rational vein, we cannot see the correlation between something as obtuse as something that happened years ago and a physical, functional disorder in a body right now. But I tell you, it can be related. And we need to learn to operate in that, that unction of the Spirit of God who created all things, that he might show us how and why somebody is in the condition they are and that we could pray and minister to them effectively. Sometimes it's in the realm of the social. They could be harboring ill feelings, anger, frustration. The last two days we've prayed for a number of people that have, have had deep, deep hostility and anger inside of them. They didn't know it. They didn't come here thinking, boy, I'm, I'm going to come here and get healed. But what happened was that they came here out of an appetite and a desire to learn how to minister and, and they didn't know what happens when you go in the lion's cage. But when you get in the lion's cage, the lion might eat you up. You come close to a lot of people filled with the Spirit, operating in spiritual power, and the things that are in you, the darkness that has been uh, controlling you, may have to come to light. And so many of you have gone through a purging and a cleansing, a breaking of bondages, a deliverance, of various kinds of difficulties. And it's, it's been productive. It's been beneficial to you. And you've come afterwards and said, I didn't even know I had those feelings. But now that, I, now that I've been delivered of them, I recognize that, that they controlled all of the thoughts of my life. Thank God our God is a deliverer and able to deliver. Hands not weak, arms not short.
he can still do it. It can be in the realm of the familial. Sometimes there are spirits attached to families from generation to generation. On numerous occasions, all over the world, we've, we've run into this kind of thing. I noticed earlier that a friend of mine named Eddie was here tonight, and one time when we were in uh, central London ministering in a church, a, a young woman walked towards him, and she had a blind eye. I can't remember whether it was a right or left, but I guess it doesn't matter. And she was a rather attractive woman, and as Eddie was talking to her, he, it became apparent uh, in, the, in the early interview portion that, uh, that she had a blind eye and that she wanted to be healed. And Eddie said, is there anything unusual about this condition? I think he was being led of the Spirit. And, uh, and she said, well, yes, I have an identical twin sister and she's blind in the same eye. Well, the moment he said that, the Spirit of, or she said that, the Spirit of God told him that this was a demon-induced condition, a spirit attached to the family. And so when he prayed, he broke the power of the Spirit. When he broke the power of the Spirit, the Spirit came out. She was knocked to the floor, blind, and in a few seconds came right back up seeing. In this case, there was a direct correlation between this family spirit and her blindness. I've always wondered if her sister was healed at the same time. <laughs> because I've heard stories like that as I've talked to other people. And uh, we uh, are going back there in October to minister, and I'm going to ask around and see if we can find out. Because I, it wouldn't surprise me if her sister, wherever she was, was delivered at the same moment of the same condition. And so these conditions can be uh, very complex. Sometimes there's combinations of all of this. Sometimes there's sin. Sometimes there's been sin against them. Sometimes there, there's demons. Sometimes there's social problems and emotional problems. It could be so, uh, and drug-related problems. You know, on and on and on. It can, I mean, it can be piled higher and higher and higher. Uh, there have been occasions, I can think of at least two, where uh, people came that were manifesting demons, and the demons were the least problem they had. <laughs> you know, in terms of ministry, it, that was the least problem they had. We could get rid of those demons easily. But helping them with the, all the sophisticated and complex aspects of their life at that point was much more massive. So we must recognize in our ministry, in our efforts to help people, that this is a human being standing right here in front of you. This is someone that God sent his son to die for. And the highest call of God is that we will love the brethren. The highest call of God is that we will love this human being. And I want to tell you something. When you begin praying for a human being, you're showing love, ultimate love. And when you begin generously and lovingly caring for this person, you're doing the highest thing you can do, whether they're healed or not. If they leave your presence feeling loved, you've obeyed the highest commandment. So don't treat people as, as conquests or something to prove your spirituality in or work out your frustrations on. But be gentle and loving and considerate and careful and, con you know, all of the kinds of things that you'd, you'd like someone to be to someone you love when they're being ministered to. Furthermore, it can, this diagnostic decision can happen, as I said, in the supernatural realm. You could, it could be demonic, and there could be a, a, a oppression and or some sort of affliction, not affection. And this affliction uh, can be worked by a, a spirit that's controlling, like in the case of blindness earlier. And you need to be, the Spirit of God will tell you that through discerning of spirits. 
I want to tell you something. The gifts of the Spirit are very accessible, people. You're having them all the time. Just that you're so programmed to the natural realm that you resist these impressions that come. Alright? You're all having them all the time. The Spirit of God's just prevailing. All He's bombarding you with impressions. And you're saying, oh, it couldn't be. I don't even know that person. You know? Well, that's a weird thought. And sometimes you don't even cognate. You just shake it off before it even, it even gets a chance to, to stimulate your mind. And so I want you to be aware that the, that the Lord is with us. The Lord is available. The Lord is accessible. And He's impressing you constantly as to how to operate, what to do. And you just need to begin dialing down, you know. It's, it's a, you know, the, our flesh, it, to me it's like a loud radio. Our flesh is like a loud radio. My, I grew up with four kids in our family. And at least three of them love to have the radio on loud. And you know, when a radio is loud enough, you can hardly hear anything else. And your flesh is just like that. It's, it's raging inside of you all the time. And you have to dial it down. You have to turn down the volume of that flesh if you're going to operate in the Spirit. And one of the most profitable and helpful ways to do that is fasting and prayer. Meditating on the Word of God. So I would encourage you to, to begin practicing. And I don't, I mean curtailing what you eat. You know, don't eat as much. Don't eat all the things you want. Just curtail it. And your flesh will decline. And you'll have a sensitivity in the spirit that you wouldn't have otherwise. It just works that way. Keep in mind that it could be full-on demonization, a spirit that's controlling somebody. If it is, command it to manifest, just to check it out, make sure it's there. If there's a spirit here in the name of Jesus, I command you to manifest, and bam, it'll manifest. They start talking to you. You say, well, you've got to go. You do not belong here. It could be a, a curse that's been put on them, sometimes through black magic, sometimes through white magic. There's all kinds of magical formula. These things work. A curse could be put on people. I've, I've uh, broken curses on a number of people over the years. First time it ever happened to me was on a little child in, in uh, South Africa. And uh, as we were praying, Becky Cook was praying with me. And she said, John, I think the Spirit is telling me that this child has a curse on him. And so we broke the power of the curse. And as we did so, there was a transformation in the child. A real healing began. You wouldn't believe what those demons had done to that child. Torn his fingers off, his toes off. Ripped his body. Distorted and twisted his mind. It was unbelievable what those demons had done to that child. But we cast those demons out and broke that curse. And that little child is functioning normally today. Getting well and whole. Sometimes it can be authority figures. You know, in the context of our own systems here in the Western world, a doctor's diagnosis sometimes can be a curse placed on you. It can so penetrate you at a subconscious level that you are programmed from that point on to no other alternative. The doctor has spoken. And you come under the authority of it, and it actually can kill you. I don't know how many times we've had to break the actual expression that's been put on a person because they couldn't explore any other alternative until we did so. And so we had to go in and pray and say, yes, we know that's what the doctor said, and we recognize that it, it's, it's well advised, it's sound, 
it's good medicine. He's done a good job of diagnosis. But there are other options. Well, what are those other options? God can change all the circumstances that brought about that diagnosis. Oh, I don't know, you know. I, I, I've got this problem. You know, there's a woman here this week that has a testimony that she was uh, healed of lupus. Now, it would be difficult to, to measure that, you know, in the context of just here. She'll have to go to the doctor to have that confirmed. But she does have a testimony in her body and in her mind and in her heart that God touched her mightily. And she looked me right in the eye and said, I think I'm healed. And she said, in fact, I know I'm healed. Isn't that great? Well, I want to tell you something. When she goes to her physician, there's nothing in the medical model that will allow for that. There's a tension there. And what most physicians do with that, that basic problem is, well, they say, well, in their private hearts, they say, well, I must have misdiagnosed. I must have missed it. Of course, they don't want to acknowledge that because there's always room then for other problems. And so they'll say other kinds of things. And depending on who they are and the kind of relationship they have, they, and what their relationship with God is, is, it depends on what they allow. But even Christian physicians have great difficulty with the idea of the divine providence of God healing somebody. And it just works that way. But I want to tell you something. They're no different than we are. We have the same problem. And so a doctor's diagnosis can sometimes function as a curse over a person and it has to be dealt with. I'm not saying you want to refute medicine. Medicine's a boon and a blessing and a help and an aid. What I'm saying is the impact in the spirit realm of what that doctor said is controlling that person and giving them no options to explore. They are under the authority of that, that statement made. And so that, that is what has to be broken. And you just name it. You just say, in the name of Jesus, I break the power of that over you. And you can see visible change often right at that point as you pray. It could be parents, other kinds of pronouncements, the pastor's opinion, teachers, anybody in authority over the individual can have that kind of an impact if they're not sensitive and careful. Step three is the prayer selection. It answers the basic question, what kind of prayer will I need to pray to help this person? There are basically two kinds. There's the prayer toward God. The most common, of course, is petition. You can ask for the Spirit's presence. Holy Spirit, please come and, and rest on this person in this situation and bless us and heal us and uh, show us how to, how to pray. You can ask for healing. Petition is simply asking. Asking God to come, asking God to heal, asking God to lead. It can be intercessory prayer. It can be prayer in the mind. By that I mean it can be intelligent prayer, prayer that can either be vocalized or not, in which you intercede for an individual. It can be prayer in the spirit. You can pray in tongues. That doesn't mean with spirit, with gusto. It means in the spirit, in tongues. Now, I use that, that alternative often. It helps me. One of the, my basic problems with uh, speaking in tongues for years is I didn't know what benefit it would have. I didn't know how beneficial it was. I didn't know what a profitable tool it was. I thought it was just a nuisance thing uh, that some weird people did once in a while. But when I, I finally got into it and began doing it on a regular basis, uh, I found the profitability of it. I didn't realize what edification meant. I didn't know that tongues edified. I you know, read 1 Corinthians 14 many times, but I never saw that text. But one day the Spirit of God highlighted it for me and I realized that edification is the inner building up of the Spirit, your Spirit. 
And as you speak in tongues, your spirit is edified, exalted, lifted up, built up. And when it's built up, it's like antenna going up and you're able to receive signals better. And so often when I'm praying for somebody and, I, and it's not going well, I'll step back and just intercede and, and I'll, I'll pray in my spirit. And often right in that process, God will suddenly give me a gift of the spirit and I'll know exactly what's wrong with the person and I can move in and begin ministering. And so I want you to know the profitableness, the profitability of that kind of prayer in intercession. Now there are those other kinds of prayers that are the prayers from God. You, you petition, you intercede, and then sometimes God answers, and he will give you the command of faith. Numerous times in the New Testament we see people saying, Rise in the name of Jesus. Stand, see, walk, pick up your bed, come forth. Those are the commands of faith. Now you, you can't just adopt those. You can't say, Oh, that's the one I'm supposed to pray. Well, you know, come forth. You can look real silly, you know, trying to do those things. Those things have to come under the immediate auspices of the Spirit. They have to be initiated by the Spirit, stirred in your inner being. The Spirit of God will cause you to do it. And when He does, He does. I remember one time I was in um, uh, London again, and I was in a Pentecostal church, and, and we had a tremendous move of the Spirit. It was the strangest night I'd ever had. Well, I be, as soon as I began ministering, I, I hadn't gotten three sentences out until a lady in the second row right in front of me, a lady in the Salvation Army, began shrieking and howling like a wolf. And she blew out of her chair and, and, and you know, was crouching. And she looked like um, the hunchback of Notre Dame, Quasimodo, you know. <laughs> it was awful. She had her, you know, her jaw was all, and she's making these terrible noises. And she had her uniform on and I thought, oh no, you know, she, this is humiliating, this is embarrassing. I found out that she'd been a street evangelist for 20 years and that God had used her mightily in winning many people to Christ. But here she was in a full-on demonic manifestation and I didn't have theology for this. At that point, I did not believe there was any way that a Christian could have be controlled in any sense by a demon. And here's demons speaking, cursing, blaspheming God. I turned to, uh, Ken Gullickson was with me and he was seated over here on the right. I turned again, I, I said, Ken, I think this girl needs inner healing. <laughs> Ken, God bless him, he's so good. He came and got her and they drug her off. And the only place they had to take her was kind of a cry room in the back, you know. So they took her back in there and I'm trying to preach and you can hear her back in there. She's, I mean, she's knocking those guys all over the room. Wham, bam, you know, and ho, oh, oh. and she's thinking, and you can hear Ken, Ken rebuking in the name of Jesus. And I'm trying to preach, you know. I mean, it was so absurd, you know. And every now and then, I mean, I had to make comments about it, so every now and then I'd stop and smile and say, isn't it wonderful what God can do, you know, blessing and everything. <laughs> and people are, people are seated towards me, but looking over their shoulder. You know, I don't know what they expected. You know. I don't know, you know, it was great. Well, anyway, to make a long story short, that woman was beautifully delivered. Oh, it was precious. When he, he, it took him about two hours of work. Well, in the meantime, the Spirit of God visited the sanctuary. And we saw in about a 25-minute period more miracles than we have ever seen in any other meeting at any other time. Almost everybody we touched was instantly and powerfully delivered and healed. It was one of the most powerful moves of the Spirit I've ever seen. 
And at one point, I had a lady standing in front of me, just a beautifully groomed lady, and uh, uh, she was a black lady, and she, she was very sophisticated, very well educated, and, uh, and uh, she explained to me that she wanted me to pray for her arm. Well, I couldn't hear her very well because it was noisy, and, and so I, I prayed her a quick prayer, and I said, uh, move your arm, and she said, you don't understand, I can't move my arm. I was born without the muscles that you need to move your arm. I said, oh, well, you don't need a healing. You need a miracle. Receive it. I couldn't believe it. It's the first time I'd ever yell like that. <laughs> and when I said, receive it, she went, <laughs> and started running around the room, going like this. <laughs> it was great. It was hot, you know. And I'm standing there looking at her, and I'm so excited. Well, she had her grandmother with her, and her grandmother was about this tall, you know, and about that wide. And she, she was standing next to me, and she was standing there smiling like this, and she had big, big eyes, but she was blind. And uh, they, they were white, you know, across the, the pupils. She had uh, glaucoma. And, and I turned to see her, and, and, I, and I started to say, what do you want? And when I saw that she was blind, but again, before I could stop myself, I'm illustrating command of faith. Before I could stop myself, I said, see! And her eyes turned beautifully limpid, brown pools before the word was wrung out of the room. I looked at that and I just started sobbing. I had never seen such a miracle in my life. And that lady knew how to get healed. <laughs> oh, man, did she dance? And she grabbed her grandchildren and she's running around the room and she's hopping and she's dancing and she's laughing and rejoicing. It turned out she had about 15 or 16 members of her family there. And, you know, the last time I saw them, they were going down the street just having a party. You know? It was great. The command of faith. Sometimes it's the pronouncement of faith. On another occasion, a couple were talking to me about their child. As they were talking to me, the Lord caused me to speak. And I said, go home, your child is well. I've never said that before or since. But as they were talking, the Spirit of God, and you know when that unction is there, you know that anointing coming on you, and you speak it. And they went home, and sure enough, the child was well. And the child was dying. But the child was instantly healed. It, see, it's profitable. It's profitable unto the Lord for you to be able to receive the impressions, the unctions, the gifts of the Spirit. Furthermore, there's the, the prayer uh, of uh, rebuking, binding, and expulsing as it, as it relates to the devil and his hordes, the demons. And so from time to time, you have to break their power. Sometimes you contain their power through binding. Other times you have to expulse them, which is simply to mean eliminate their presence. And there'll be various kinds of leading and various kinds of direction to do those things. Now, all of those are unctions. All of those are manifestations. They come upon you. They come upon you for the moment. If you hesitate, they're gone. And so you have to learn to be sensitive and, and wait on those things. And when they come, you've got to go with them. And you have to go right then. And if you toy with them, they're gone. All right? So, be filled means be being filled with the Spirit, a continuing process in which you have to be receptive and open so that you constantly receive these unctions, these manifestations for service again and again and again and again and again as the Spirit of God gives them. Step four is the prayer engagement, which answers the question, how are we doing? 
Sometimes as we're praying and ministering, it should proceed while looking for effect. That's why we keep our eyes open while we pray. And we're asking questions and we're watching for warmth and tingling and heat and muscle spasms and shaking and deep breathing and all the kinds of phenomena that you've been seeing this week. And when we see that going on, we say, we're at, we don't know what that means. We just know that, that there's an engagement going on. It's connecting. God's doing something. And so we dialogue and we ask. And we're asking at this level and we're asking at this level at the same time. Sometimes God tells us, that means this. And so you say it to him. Other times they tell you. Sometimes they don't know and you don't know. So you just let it happen. And uh, sometimes you just sort of uh, bless it, encourage it. Because you don't know exactly why it's happening. You don't know how it's working. When in doubt, ask questions. Some people are programmed, if you, you've got to understand, to failure. They've come with little or no hope. They've come with things binding and controlling them. They've come with bruises and inner hurts and things that are, that are programmed into failure. And you have to recognize the package. You've got to see what you're dealing with. And you say, oh, this person is so tied up with things that have happened to them and things they've done and things, you know, or other kinds of things that they can't receive for the moment. So we need to begin focusing on the things that are binding them rather than the things that they're asking for at this point, the petitions that they're requiring. And so you begin praying in that realm. Lord, show me what's binding them. Show me what's hurting them. Show me what's stopping them. And God will do it. He'll give you visions and, and impressions and understandings and revelations to do it. Sometimes he doesn't. You say, well, come back and let's pray again. Okay? Some people are not tuned into their own bodies. Remember the tall German lad? Couldn't understand. He didn't know. He, didn't, he wasn't lying to me. He couldn't feel anything. Later he could. But he couldn't then. And so you need to recognize that, that you may not always get good responses from the people because they may not be tuned in to what's happening to them. Well, when do you stop praying? I guess that's the question I've had most often from people that are first starting. Here's some hints. The, you stop praying when the person you're praying for indicates it's over. There they are on the floor, you know. <laughs> or there they, 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 they look up at you and you say, I'm healed. Or, or they just in some way let you know it's over. You stop praying when the Spirit tells you it's over. Sometimes the, the Spirit's still doing things, but He tells you that you're done. You just know it. Now, you've got to learn to turn off when He tells you to turn off. You know, sometimes the Lord gives you a minute's unction and you talk for 30. That means 29 minutes was on your meter, not on His. And that can make, make for big trouble. You stop praying when you cannot think of anything else to say or pray. That'll happen often, sorry to say. But you just, you've just gone through all your arsenal. You're not getting anywhere. You just say, next, go on to the next person. You stop praying when you've prayed for everything and it seems you have not gained any ground. And there are times like that. When it just doesn't happen. And I always grin and say, well, you know, come on back next week and we'll do it again. Or let's get together again tomorrow. Or why don't you let those people try it on you? Yeah. Maybe they're on a roll tonight. <laughs> and sometimes that works. 
you realize that yesterday when we had uh, everyone come forward and there were so many t powerfully touched by the Spirit, and as I was looking, I realized there were many that weren't, and the Spirit of God said, tell them to go in a room and I'll touch them. Do you realize how many people were filled with the Spirit in that room? It was incredible. Some of the guys who were working back there uh, told me that they were sure that almost everybody, if not everybody, that went back there was filled. Well, aren't you glad that God gave me the impression to have a second chance? I am. Because the Lord's so merciful, you see. He understands that some people need a little more attention, a little more help. They need someone else to do it with them. They need some other combination. And he's so genuine and so sincere and so committed and so merciful and so magnificent that he'll give you different combinations because he cares about you receiving all that you can receive. Lastly, step five in the post-prayer is what I call the post-prayer direction. It answers the question, what should they do to keep their healing? Sometimes it's go and sin no more if sin's been the issue. Other times it, you get supernatural leading for special direction. On numerous occasions, God's told me, tell the person to go do this. Say this, do that. On numerous occasions, he's told me to have people go and make peace with somebody or go and do this or go and do that. And as they did it, they received their healing. Sometimes it's just general counsel. You know, often I'm, we're praying for people that have little or no grasp of the Scripture. And I'll say, read, go home and read the Gospels and come back and let me pray for you again. Underline every verse and healing in there. I particularly have to do that with Bible-believing evangelical fundamentalists because they don't know the Scriptures about healing. No one's ever showed them to them. 